Hi, the SO Hindu listeners. In this episode, I'm speaking with Lavanya Vimsani. Lavanya is a professor of history at Shawnee State University in Ohio, specializing in Indian history and religion. Her latest paper in the International Review of Modern Sociology is titled Global Hinduphobia Construed, Constructed, and Unleashed from the West. That's what we're going to talk about today Hinduphobia, the fallacy of Aryan invasion theory, and how to revamp the study of Hinduism so a more accurate picture of Hinduism's past and present can be glimpsed. Lavanya, thanks for coming on the show. Let's jump right into this. When reading your paper, there were a number of passages I highlighted I wanted to ask you about. Some of these I personally wanted to discuss and others I just think listeners ought to be made aware of. So the first of these is this. You describe a three-pronged program in operation under successful, successive rather than successful colonialists, although they were, I suppose, successful, successful too, um, to accomplish this task of denigrating Hinduism and Hindu culture. Can you talk in more detail about what these three prongs are and how they're playing out today? Uh, thank you, Matt, uh, for having me on the podcast today. Um, the Hinduphobia paper uh, is very close to my heart. Uh, it comes from what uh, I experienced, my family experienced, you know, everybody I know have experienced. Uh, so uh, the paper... Um, I discuss these things, you know, what, what is out there and how it affects our thinking, other people's thinking, and then how it shapes uh, the understanding of Hinduism. So uh, the, the successive uh, elements that I discuss in my book uh, are the colonialism uh, and then how uh, successive groups uh, of scholarly works that are produced in India uh, have affected India. Uh, so there is uh, the early colonial element, the first layer, uh, first pre-constructions uh, on Hinduism. Uh, then we have uh, successive groups constructing and um, promoting the same thinking uh, in the West. Uh, and we also have the same um, knowledge that is being perpetrated in India. So there are several levels of it, several successive waves of it. So it's not just one wave that is affecting us. It's several waves of this colonialist thinking that is uh, affecting us. So uh, as you said, it's it's a successful uh, propaganda, uh, but it's also successive layers of propaganda that was that is still uh, perpetrated. So. So then how can you go into a little bit how this propaganda is continues to be effective and put out there today? Yes. Um, um, let's take the news, uh, right? The cast is always there. Uh, it's put in the face of uh, Hindus. But the idea of caste and the way it is understood uh, currently uh, is constructed uh, during the colonialist era. Uh, and caste, of course, lost its fluidity uh, in the beginning of uh, 15th century or so. Uh, new caste still kept on emerging and forming until 15th century. It was only after that uh, that we don't see that fluidity. Uh, and then, of course, finally it was fixed uh, on a fixed hierarchy and fixed list and all that. Uh, and if you remember, um, some time ago there was this uh, media pieces on uh, caste and they were trying to say a last name indicates uh, a caste and all that. Uh, now that uh, that has 
become the center of discussion in India with the issue of Modi, uh, terming the Modi and, you know, it's taken to court and uh, one of the leaders, opposition leaders, uh, were hard saying that type of words. Uh, and now many people are coming out and saying uh, Modi doesn't really indicate one caste. It, in, in the, it is used by many other groups, many different groups. But uh, when the controversy, caste controversy happened in the U.S., uh, they now never came out and said this. Uh, they said caste uh, is indicated by the last name. Uh, and we uh, said, who have experience with it, have come out and said last name doesn't really indicate a caste. Uh, it can only mislead uh, sometimes. Uh, and uh, of course, nobody said anything. Now, of course, you know, uh, everybody is saying that. So, so the understanding of caste, our understanding of Indian social system, our understanding of uh, Indian history, uh, everything is mired uh, in these colonial constructions. Uh, if, if any of us come out and say that is not right and this is the way we have to understand it, uh, they see this as uh, conspiratorial uh, and they come and attack us. Uh, that has happened many times. Uh, and you have also experienced it, so you know. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It, that seems to go to me, or indicate to me, part mm -hmm. of the the passage I was first referring to. You talk about uh, isolating neutral Hindus and attacking and name-calling academics who oppose yeah. the received wisdom on issues such as caste and other things right. in, in terms of Hinduism. Right. What, what's your experience been of that? I, those close followers of HAF will no doubt be aware of that, but we have listeners right. beyond that too. So for those people that may not be aware, what, what's going on there and how have you experienced that? Right. If you, if you call out any of these things, if you call out the theories, uh, any of these constructed theories, the RN invasion theory and how historical constructions are faulty. Uh, if you talk, call out on anything about these uh, festivals or if you call out anything uh, about the caste, you know, they are, they are always creating this myth uh, kind of uh, understanding about Hinduism. So if you call out anything, uh, neutral people are uh, scholars in the academia. If they call out any of these things, they are called... Uh, names, uh, all kinds of names, and then Hindutva. And sometimes they even go to the extent of sending letters and condemning the um, scholarship as not valid at all. Uh, so which has happened to me. I was called names uh, online and offline. Uh, called Hindutva is uh, one of them, but you know there are worse terms they have used against me, uh, online and offline. Uh, just for simple things. Uh, I was even attacked on an academic list for just sharing a call for papers. So you can imagine how deep this is. Um, and um, this, this I think, is not just happening to me. Uh, it's probably happening to many people who try to speak, uh, try to bring out a clearer understanding of Hinduism, Rather than what's out there, um, the, the colonialist constructions wants people to uh, stay with the constructed uh, theories and constructed identities. Uh, they want to keep this uh, RN invasion and the division of society into several races. 
uh, and they want to keep uh, the cast uh, as they constructed. Uh, if you say anything different, uh, you are uh, considered a you know kind of Hindutva. Mm. Can you go into to pivot for a second into some of these colonial misunderstandings or interpretations of Hindu ideology and Hindu texts? You in your paper you talk about how certain sacred texts are reinterpreted in light of what you describe as an invader versus indigenous dichotomy. Can you explain that to people and how that's actually playing out in the real world beyond just an academic context? We see um, holidays such as Holi being interpreted strictly along these racial lines, or uh, I would say probably imagined racial, racial lines. Okay. Um, can you go into that a little bit? It's, a, it's an issue, again, that, that close followers of HAF might be aware of, but the general public isn't. Right. Um, this theory is well known. Uh, and of course, some of these uh, uh, activists go on sharing, you know, <laughs> the Mahisha is my ancestor, the monsters are my ancestors. So, you know, this is this um, interpretation. The interpretation that's forced on India uh, is this indigenous versus the invaders. Uh, in fact, all of us are indigenous. And for Hinduism, uh, anyway, it didn't matter. Uh, anybody that regards Brahma as the highest uh, and regards um, Vedas as the highest revelation uh, is a Hindu. Uh, but uh, anyway, they, they come up with this theory. Uh, there is in, uh, indigenous versus uh, invaders. The invaders are always the gods. Of course, you know, it's not just us that have uh, races according to this uh, Aryan uh, theory. Our gods are also divided into Aryans and Dravidians and uh, whatnot. Uh, so our gods, uh, like Rama or the goddess, uh, they are all considered uh, Aryan. Uh, and then anybody that uh, that are on the other side, for example, representing evil, uh, are uh, indigenous. Um, how does that work? You know, the, for example, take Ramayana. Today is, you know, Ram Nomi. So uh, how does that work? Uh, Rama, of course, they consider is uh, uh, Aryan, uh, but he's dark. He's like us. You know, he doesn't <laughs> represent any of the qualities of the Aryan that they bring about. Uh, and uh, take the, for example, take the example of goddess, um, Mahisha Suramardini. Uh, of course, She's dark, she's short, she's, you know, <laughs> of course she uh, kills this demon, uh, Mahishasura. They they brought out myth mythical uh, examples, mythical information to explain that away. But uh, goddesses are found uh, right from the um, Indus Valley, e even before the Indus Valley. Uh, we have this example of uh, uh, the last phase of Paleolithic, Upper Paleolithic, actually has a goddess temple at Bagor uh, excavations and also, you know, in other places. So there are goddess temples, goddesses are found, the images and the way they are shaped uh, right from 12,000, 15,000 years ago. Uh, so how is a goddess now becoming, you know, uh, some kind of Aryan and then everybody else is... Uh, this uh, represented with uh, Mahisha, you know, how is Mahisha considered uh, indigenous and goddess not considered indigenous? How does that work? 
we are here since the Paleolithic era. Our stories and our goddesses and our gods are here since the Paleolithic era. So, so what is this? Are they telling these theories to help us understand our past? Or uh, why are they telling us these theories? Uh, there should be some reason they are telling us these theories and they are continuously perpetrating these theories, right? That's what I argue in my paper. These theories are brought out uh, for a reason, for, for this colonialist purpose, for isolating Hindus, for dividing Hindus, and for, uh, of course, when a social group uh, is isolated uh, as um, invaders or indigenous or this and that, uh, it's easier uh, to attack them. It's easier to villainize them. It's easier to, um, you know, subject them to atrocities. Before we move on from Aryan invasion theory and colonial attitudes around it, can you set the record straight for people on what the word Aryan actually means and how <laughs> and how it's been misinterpreted over the years? Because uh, you know, you with the rise of at least in public face of right. white supremacy in in the West in the past couple of years, right. um, what what does the word Aryan actually mean? Uh, Aryan is not a word, actually. <laughs> Our word is Arya. So I don't know why they add this end to the end uh, of many of our words. It's just Arya. Uh, it should be called Aryas. Uh, Arya is civilized, learned, um, and um, the one who has, uh, you know, good manners or good, you know, all that. Uh, and Arya is used uh, until recently. Even when I was in school, I learned, uh, you know, they teach you, I went to, you know, Telugu medium school. Uh, they teach you how to write a leave letter, how to write uh, application, how to write a petition, all these things when you're in school, in elementary school, you know, third grade or fourth grade. Uh, and how to write letter to your teacher. Uh, and I always started, you know, it always started with, um, you know, respect. Arya, you know, Arya is something like sir, dear sir, right? So it's in uh, in Telugu, it starts as, you know, Arya, uh, and I write this letter. Uh, Arya uh, used most of the time uh, as a respectable word, as, uh, as something like a sir. Uh, it is not a race at all. There is no racial connotation anywhere uh, in the Vedas. Um, and uh, the the so-called Aryas uh, never said that they came from anywhere else. So it's it's just part of the culture. It's just part of the uh, people who are uh, learned. That's about it. Uh, and if you are examining uh, the sources uh, cited for it, very meager uh, sources uh, in the linguistics. Uh, linguistics can be interpreted either this way or that way. Linguistic history is... Uh, something, uh, something else. So anyway, if you are looking at uh, real historical evidence, because linguistic history is, you know, uh, is theoretical. Um, and if you are looking at archaeology, where is the evidence for this uh, group of people that came in? Uh, there is no Aryan. There is no race called Aryan in the Vedas. But anyway, you're telling us there is a group of people that came. So if they came, where is the evidence? If some newer group came and occupied, there is always an occupational level. So if this happened during Neolithic period, as they say, they say, you know, these people came with Neolithic package. Uh, so where, where, where is it? 
no iron was introduced iron was there in india right from uh, uh, 12000 years ago there is evidence in north india south india in many places there is no occupational layer at any level of uh, archaeological uh, sources no new you know if any new group has arrived uh, there is always new cultural uh, material that you can find uh, maybe new hand axes new axes new things that was not there only continuity is there no occupational level no new uh, artifacts that uh, that can be found that show a difference uh, our occupation so where is it it's not in the uh, in the ground we can't find it it's not in the people uh, they talk about this r1 and all that uh, and i talked about it repeatedly uh, r1 uh, india actually uh, gives rise to this gives rise to r uh, and then the mutation r of course gives rise to different uh, r's r1 a r1 a1 a1 uh, r r you know so so many different types of r1s uh, so many uh, of them but anyway the the main thing is after african uh, genetic lines the male genetic lines african genetic lines are specific to a and b the next one is c and the c is found in india uh, which means the earliest male uh, genetic line uh, c is found in india other genetic lines of course succeed that c d e f Uh, and of course one of these f's give rise to different mutations c give rise to different mutations d gives rise to different mutations uh, and most of the genetics actually evolve from this uh, f um, so uh, anyway the, the the question is the oldest genetic heritage for males and females is in india and then there is gradual progression and gradual mutations that you can find in india which shows continuous occupation and continuous evolution which gives the name founders zone to india and no sudden change can be seen the r1a also shows gradual evolution within india and r1a shows maximum diversity lots of diversity Uh, which also shows it is deep rooted so there is gradual evolution there is deep rooted nature and then the earliest genes of male and female you know the c for male and l for female uh, are found in india which gives the name founders zone to india so there is no occupational level in archaeology there is no occupation and sudden change in our genetic heritage so where is this group where is this mythical group i i don't find any evidence anywhere uh, except for some passages that are misinterpreted uh, from the vedas so i have one more question for you um you say in the paper that a complete revamp of attitudes is necessary to bring about the change that we need you know and how hinduism is studied to remedy this situation yes if you could make that change what sort of revamp is needed it's it's important to change uh, and thank you for asking me this question um, it's important to come out of out of this framework uh, of indigenous versus uh, invader 
there is nothing called indigenous forces in uh, invader uh, in hinduism in its evidence or in its practice uh, everyone practices worships the same gods and goddesses uh, there is no clear division that can be seen within hinduism in its practice so um this this mythical theory and mythical framework uh, should be uh, discarded uh, i would say um and uh, the next thing is uh the, the the framing of the social system of india uh, so once you discard this invader versus indigenous theory of course uh, the framing of social system of india as well as the framing of uh, religions of india uh, and of course the history the complete understanding of history changes once this changes uh, the the indigenous versus uh invader uh, this this getting rid of this framework is very important once this framework is discarded uh, the the newer understanding should uh, provide us when we go back and check uh, the actual work uh, actual data that is available um, for example the for ancient history uh Indus Valley we always thought Indus Valley is just limited to Indus Valley but uh, there are more than uh, almost close to 200 Indus Valley sites in India so more context more examination more uh, understanding of early indian history but most importantly this this uh, invader versus indigenous this framework should be discarded immediately and then new data should be applied to understand in india thanks for your insights on this i you know i think this paper is an important read for hindus and for you know for anyone interested in india modern south asia more broadly and i'd say it's easy reading as academic papers go if listeners want to delve into it themselves do you where can they find that in a accessible form online it's it's uh, it's open uh, access journal it's a uh, modern um, review of modern sociology uh, it's uh, in it's on the website uh, and they can also go to my uh, academia page uh, that uh, that has all my academic work so it's available freely anywhere it's it's an open access uh, journal and if listeners want to follow you more you mentioned academia.edu is there are there any other platforms anything you would like to share with uh, listeners before we go Mm, that's about it and uh, please check my work uh, my recent work uh, both uh, feminine journeys of mahabharata as well as um, hinduism in middle india examining narasimha both of them use this both of them uh, try to discard the invader versus indigenous frameworks and try to bring out uh, the original understanding of uh, hinduism the hindu goddesses uh, from mahabharata Uh, and from uh, early understanding and uh, and anyone uh, is interested in uh, discussing any of these issues i talked today they they are welcome to send me an email or contact me well that's it for this episode of that's so hindu if you enjoyed it please take a minute and leave us a nice five star review it's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners You can help ensure the more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org/donate. Thanks again for listening.